Hello and welcome to the second season of the Talking Spirits podcast. The break after season one turned out way longer than I actually planned, but season two will definitely be worth the wait as I was able to welcome 12 very special guests and we all really enjoyed being Talking Spirits. I'm very happy to kick it off with vocal maestro and my dear brother Dean Bowman. Dean and I have met in 2006 on MySpace, if someone actually remembers, and we founded the band Little Rock 9 in 2007. There would be a thousand things I could say to introduce Dean to y'all, but I think that Charles Mingus' wife Sue Mingus put it best by hailing him the most important jazz vocalist since Bobby McFerrin. From my point of view, there's nothing to add, so let's go right at it. Hi, Dean. Welcome to the Talking Spurts podcast. I cannot tell you how happy I am that we get to talk since we didn't do it in so long. And then especially uh, that you agreed to be my guest in on my show. It really means a lot to me. So welcome and thank you for taking the time to do it. Thank you very much for having me and thank you for the time to be with you. You know, last year was very unusual, let's say, and was very difficult for everyone, but especially for us musicians and freelancers, since the pandemic and all it implies is really making it impossible for us to work and travel in the way as we used to, to, to do it for so many years now. And so my question would be, how did all of this impact your life? And how are you doing right now in January of 21? Well, the pandemic uh, had a dramatic effect on everything that I do um, and everything that I have access to and the people, uh, particularly the people I have access to. So um, uh, all things aside, all, even the pandemic aside, uh, I've lost a lot of people this year, um, this past year, uh, not even including the pandemic. And uh, we've had we've had some we've had to deal with a lot of lot of human loss this year. So it's been a tough year, uh, uh, particularly as far as personal you know personal loss. So that's that's the hardest part. Yeah, it always is. What are the first memories you have from your life connected to music, and how did music and especially singing come into your life? Okay, well, let's just say this: my daughter is six years old. Her name is Norma. And Norma was, um, I guess, she was named for a woman who lived next door to my grandmother, who when I was six years old, uh, was my first <clears throat> music teacher, my first vocal teacher. And she encouraged me to sing. And um, that's uh, how I got my start. It was in, around Christmas time. And it was really a, um, it was a big thing for me to, um, at that point, to be able to, um, to channel music and to be a part of it through my instrument being the voice. Yeah. So that was, that was my first memory of music. And this connection maintains to this day, uh, uh, not only through my six-year-old daughter, but also through uh, the uh, countless friends and, and uh family and fans that I've been able to uh, get with over these over these um, past half a century since. 
did you know like early in your life that you wanted to be a singer for a living? And how, how did all of this happen to you? My brother died. And um, I was 29, he was 35. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm still not over that. Um, and, uh, but that was when I decided that, um, that um, it's life is too short. There's, there's just no, there's this, I mean, it's, I, I, it isn't any more complicated than that. You know, when he died, it was like, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it was, it was a very emotional period for me. Um, actually, when he died, I didn't want to live anymore. Um, it was um, it was four years after my father died, um, and it was um, it was just uh, yeah, it was just the way it was just the way like uh, it was the way life kind of brought me into into music yeah um yeah yeah that was that was the main thing uh but but music was always an important part of my life i was very grateful to to have uh to have a father a mother and a big brother like i had uh to um uh, to be my influence uh because um uh i i've um i was very fortunate that um, my mom, even though she doesn't know what she knows, she knows good music. She doesn't know why it's good or anything like that. She didn't have any formal training. And, uh, and my father as well. My father was very shy. Uh, so it was, a, but he was a very good singer. But, uh, the thing with the, the thing with them was they are, uh, still my, um, my biggest musical influences, my mother and my father and my big brother. I will never forget the moment when I heard your voice for the first time. I think this must have been like 2005. And my friend uh, Christian Mohan, who is uh, the drummer in my band Royal Street Orchestra, back then he was studying in, in, in Arnhem in, in Holland. I know Arnhem. And he said like last week there was a band and they did a workshop and he was blown away, you know. And he said like take the CD and he gave me a CD and he said, take the CD and pay special attention to the singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because him and me being very close friends, he, he knows what I'm, you know, what I'm up to, <laughs> what I'm into. And the band was streaming at the store source, and the album he gave me was the live album. Oh yeah. You know, his, his assessment of my reaction to it was pretty much spot on. And of course, you know, I, I liked the band from, for some reasons. Let's say, you know, it was funky, groovy in terms of funk, but it had also, in terms of energy, it had the energy of rock music. And then combined to, you know, like the freedom and, and improvisational aspects of jazz music. How did you end up becoming the vocalist of this band? And if you remember those times... You know, how, how, how was this experience for you, if you are willing to talk about it? Yeah, well, this was, um, <clears throat> wow. Um, 
I went, I was, uh, I was at that point and still today was a member of the Black Rock Coalition, which uh, was formed by Vernon Reed, Greg Tate, and Condor Mason back in the 1980s. I joined them in 1989. And then two years later, I was on a trip with Black Rock Coalition Orchestra. And that was um, how I was, um, not formally, but at that point I was introduced to the leader of the screenings, Dave Fusinski, who brought me in, um, that was 1991. And there was a female singer on the gig back in those days. She was doing almost all of the singing and I was singing like one or two songs. And um, she was replaced by uh, another girl singer, um, um, chick named Peggy Nelson, whom I also met through Black Rock Coalition. She replaced she replaced the other girl singer. Peggy then left, and then I started doing all of the singing. That was about ninety two, ninety three. So yeah, right around ninety two, ninety three was was when I became the. Oh, what 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 I'm now told what I've now been called was the original singer for screaming right around that time also was when we started getting some uh some uh record label interests so uh yeah that was that was pretty much the uh the uh series of events that led me to uh becoming the uh the lead singer for screaming it was great being associated with people on that level and working with people on that level. Um, uh, my greatest um, appreciation, really, for me, it came from other musicians, you know, um, from from my colleagues who um, who had such high uh, um, high opinions of the work. So that was that was what was the greatest thing for me. Um, the fans, the fans are great. Um, but uh, but this is really, um, you know, you, you know how the screamings was. You know, it was more of a musician's band. It was more musician's music. You know, it was it was it was it was musician's music. And, and that was that was the thing that um, that uh, that that I uh, that I appreciate the most. I asked my like I said, I mentioned my mom earlier. She really wasn't into it. You know, she really wasn't into it because it's not. It's not for everybody. It's not, it's not, it's, it's musicians music. It's, it's music for the, and I'm, see, y- you know who Louis Prima was, right? I have to admit, I don't. Louis Prima was a, he was an Italian American uh, Louis Armstrong clone. He's really fun, really fun and interesting. And, you know, well, he had, a, he played trumpet and he sang and he had a, he had kind of a, he had kind of an Italian, he had a kind of a black Italian American vibe with his singing and stuff. He sang a lot of pop songs and he was very popular. And he used to have a saying, he would say to the band, he'd say, play pretty for the people. See, I'm, I'm like that. I'm, I'm like that. I like to, I, I think music is for enjoying, not to be pondered to the highest elements of intellect and genius. You know what I mean? All of that is fine, man. I love Bach. I love Bach, but I don't love Messian. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? I I love Bach. I love Mozart, man. But I ain't feeling Schoenberg all the time. I ain't feeling feeling Wagner at all. You know what I'm saying? I like Rachmaninoff. I like, you know, you understand what I'm saying when I say that. I'm feeling Rachmaninoff, but 
you know. Yes, but what I what I find interesting in that regard is like you know when, I mean, we all of us we we go through certain phases, you know. Right. And and when I think back of like of myself. Of course, I, I also had a time, you know, where I was into uh, playing crazy shit and doing, being badass. Oh, yeah. You try to show how much of a social life you gave up to be able to play like this. Like, do you know how many, do you know how much... Punani, I gave up to be able to play like this, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and and at a certain point in time, it was important, you know. But at the same time, right now, I'm very happy that I I that it's long ago that I got over it, you know. So I know perfectly well what you what you what you are meaning. Um, yeah, but just like you know, what I would say, I mean. And this is just my personal view. Uh, the torsos they are still existing. Um, yeah, but 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 I mean, for me, it was really you who made it that special as it was and as the old records are still. Well, I appreciate that very much because, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I, one of the things that I found really intriguing was... Um, was I, I watched some of the, like, uh, one of the songs that people complain about, uh, the people in the band complain about my singing on it. And this is just like, you know, it, it's without irony. There is no irony here. Is you don't like the way I sing blue and green, so you get somebody to replace me to sing it exactly like I sang it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's that's okay. what I mean. <laughs> that, that's that's the, what I that's, mean. that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, so all right, I get it. On the first album, you did write a song which was named "Wedding in Sarajevo," and so of course, I, you know, being born in Sarajevo, I listened to it a lot of times. And when we met, you told me so. It was a, for myself when we were playing with, with Lit Rock Nine. Um, I I really wanted to try and hook up hook us up to to be able to play a gig in Sarajevo, and eventually I was I got lucky and it it worked out. So we had the chance to go, and it was just in and out, you know, getting in, playing, and out. Yeah, I would like to ask you for one if you would be willing to share the story about why you wrote that song, and second your memories of when we went there. Well, I wrote the song from a, uh, uh, it was a story um, of a, um, I forget, but it was Charlene Hunter Galt. She had a story, uh, she had a series called Rights and Wrongs, something like that. And um, one of her stories was a story of a, of a woman um, who married her dearly departed fiance who was killed in the war. And one of the th one of these stories about it was the um, there were a lot of women um, like while a lot of businesses were going out of business because you know the only thing in war the only thing that anybody's dealing with is like you know food supplies weapons things like that that's about the only market for anything but one of the things that was very doing very well business wise was wedding dresses wedding gowns 
because people were getting married, you know, um, and it was like, uh, and I did not know this very much at that point, at that particular time, but the these, you know, the people in the Balkans are very, are very pious, you know, very pious people. And, um, and so they, um, they, 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 they were, there's a lot of people, they were getting married, um, uh, cause they didn't know, um, you know, if they're going to make it, you know? So, um, so I wrote, so I wrote the song about that. And remember how you told me your story. I remember we were hanging out and I asked you, how did you get out of Sarajevo? That's one of those stories that, that you keep with you. It's a story you take with you. Yeah. And you, and you did, uh, you, you wrote a blog once on Father's Day. I still like to repost it on Father's Day. I do as well, because what you wrote you know, in, in, in reaction to what I told you was also very, or still is very moving to me. That's why it was so important to me to make it happen for us to go there. I went there. I, I had no idea what to expect. I don't, I don't remember anything about the performance per se. I don't remember the venue. I don't remember anything. I, you know, I, I just, I just remember the, the way it made me feel to be there. It wasn't, it wasn't painful. It wasn't so much painful. It was just like, it was like, this was, this was historical. The first time I went into, the first time I went into any place, you know, like you want to take pictures and you want to do things to, you can't, you know, as an American coming from, and I remember asking you a question and Uh, I asked you because I was completely, completely outside of the whole thing. I, I asked you, in retrospect, it's a pretty dumb question, but I asked you, I said, well, I was like, are you angry with the Serbs? Are you mad at the Serbs? And this and that? I was like, you know, I said, are you, do you play with them? And you said, of course I play with them. They know the music. This has not changed, of course. No, you know. of course it hasn't changed. It's Because the people on the ground are, are you know, they're, they're not really, they're not the decision makers. No, and especially not musicians and artists, you, you know, right. by yourself. I mean, we, the, the way we are, we have a very different point of view and perspective on everything. That question, it was not dumb at all, because at that time, you know, or depending on what, what you have been through, you know, you could have uh, had different answers to it than I had. I'll tell you one thing, from the original Screamings record, I am not in touch with anybody on the record. I, I mean, and, and uh, um, that, that's, I mean, there's no communication whatsoever between us. Yeah, and it's like, uh, but, but I'm saying that we didn't even have any, there was no war, there was no bloodshed between us, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, That's that's why in some ways it's not a dumb question, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. But if I would have to answer it again, I would give you the same answer. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, if if we talk about, you know, your career as a singer so far, I mean, you did work with so many musicians and from, from like from all over the world and also with many Musicians who are highly acclaimed, for instance, you know, you, you work with Lester Bowie, with Don Byron, with John Schofield, Charlie Hunter, and the list could, you know, I could continue it for, <laughs> forever. 
with all of these collaborations that you have been doing over the years, first question would be like, are there some of them which have a special meaning or where you have a special or fond memories of? And the second question would be like, you know, I, I could imagine that for a singer, it can be challenging in a way to adjust to so many different settings and musical styles and situations and obviously you have you had no issues <laughs> you know your body of work is so diverse so the question to this would be how how is your perspective on this and how do you approach you know going into different situations that's a good question thanks because um um, when I was with the Screamings, no one in the Screamings ever asked me about my approach to doing female vocals, male vocals, lead vocals, background vocals. And um, and my approach to it was very simple. My job is to sing. And I came up in the church. So because I came up in the church, um, music was, as we said earlier, it was a part of life. It was how we interacted with each other. And... Uh, It wasn't about musicianship so much as about, you know, how the music makes you feel, because that's ultimately what it is. Right. How the music makes you feel. How does the music make you feel when you're singing it, when you're playing it, when you're sharing it with others? And um, people don't remember all of the notes, but they remember how it made you feel. Um, when you're playing, when you're playing the music, it's really going to be about how it makes people feel, whatever it is that you're playing. Um, and that was why it was so great just trying, be able to try to sing the uh, uh, to sing the Romani music with Sandy Lopicic. And it was, you know, and, and I suggested, in fact, when I went out with Schofield, I suggested to him, uh, and I also suggested with Don Byron uh, to do a gospel record and to have me on it. But they each did a gospel record. They just didn't have me on it. But... Uh, But it was a, it was a it was a suggestion. In fact, Don called me. At least he called me, and he called me and told me. He said, he said, uh, yeah, I'm doing a gospel record, but don't vibe me. I'm not going to have you. I'm going to have DK Dyson. I said, okay, all right. And I think and Schofield had. I, I don't remember who he had um, for his gospel record, but he had a, uh, an amazing uh, 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 singer pianist from New Orleans. Yeah, John Cleary. So it's hard for me to get mad at him, you know. But you did, didn't you tour the gospel stuff with John? No, no, no. We toured, uh, we toured um, Ray Charles, music with Ray Charles, which, which, by the way, by the way, that is the single hardest music I've ever sang. The music of Ray Charles was the hardest music. I mean, you know, it's, it, 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 I say this to you honestly. Um, uh, it's absolute, it's the most complicated, the highest art, of music that I have ever sang with anybody. Uh, that's including the Screamings. That's including Sandy Lopichich. That's including uh, 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 Don Byron. Um, that was the hardest music I ever sang in music of Ray Charles. But, but could you elaborate a little bit? Ray Charles, first of all, Ray Charles' music is absolutely virtuosic. There isn't, a, there isn't, um, there isn't one layup in the, in the line. I mean, all of those songs are... You know, they they require. I, I give songs a, a a rating. I call it a. I call it a. a the rating is Deanscape. I call it Deanscape. Deanscape one through Deanscape five. 
Every Ray Charles song is a Deanscape 4 plus. Everyone. I mean, not one of them songs is like, okay, I could take a break. No, nothing. You, I mean, nothing. It is something in the range or it's something in the in the in the in the feeling behind the song that there is every single Ray Charles song is a very, very uh, high level, high level of musicianship, and there's no exception. So I, I, I did not get a, I did not get a, you know, you can't take a song off with Ray. Everything with Ray, and, and remember, Ray is one of those, is one of those cats that everybody not only knows him but loves him. They, Ray is beloved. Ray's like Louis Armstrong or like Bob Marley. You know, I mean, if you know them, you love them. Yeah, but but actually, it's interesting. It's very interesting what you just said, in you know, in connection to what you have been saying before, because I think you know you just said okay, the music of Ray Charles, every song is you know virtuosic, but but at the same time, people love him because he because he managed to make the music speak to their hearts. And it's still, still speaking to, to our hearts, to everyone. It's about how it, it's about, you know, how it makes people feel. And listening to Ray Charles singing, even something like, um, well, what's, even something like Georgia, you know, which um, we had to play Georgia every night. Absolutely required. We had to sing Georgia every night. We had to sing, um, what was the other one? Hey, mama, don't you treat me wrong. Tell me what I say. We had to sing what I say every night. We had to sing What I Say Every Night. We had to sing Georgia every night. And we always had Nighttime is the Right Time. Nighttime is the Right Time. We always kept that one uh, either as an encore or as like the last song before. Like, uh, I think we would use that sometimes as the, either as an encore or as the last song of the night, you know, like of a two set, two set or three set thing. Um, the second, the, 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 usually the last song of the first set was What I Say. And the last song of the second set was um, Nighttime is the Right Time. Maybe, if you don't mind, we could talk a little bit about music education. You are very active in the field of music education and you love to do it. Quite some time ago, I had the chance to be with you on a few workshops you did for music students. And I remember pretty well one thing which really stick to my memory um, is one advice you gave was that it makes sense for a singer to build different characters. And I remember when you said that they were looking at you like, what, what does he mean, you know? Uh, but when I listen to your music, I know what you mean because, you know, you sing lyrically and then you you rap you use you use narration you work a lot with dynamics also with the way how your voice sounds you know and you, you you do scatting and improvising so of course i do know what you mean when you say this and also i have to mention you you also have developed uh, one trademark one of many but one trademark of yourself which is a, a way of singing which is kind of close to the austrian german yodeling <laughs> You know, uh, and and this is also one character, one additional character of all of what you are doing. And so my question would be, you know, how how is your perspective on this? Like, you know, this when you say to someone, 
try to 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 try to build different characters as a singer. And the second question is how how did you how did you come up with the yodel thing? <laughs> yeah, the yodeling. Well, first of all, building different characters comes and 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 they're, they're interconnected, which is that uh, um, when you do when you do the repetitions and performance practice, you develop a sound, you develop a uh, a way of uh, of uh, a, a technique, and um, And so that when you do work on your technique, you develop um, different characters. When I do like when I do what I do is the long tones, um, which is which which is when you, you just sing one note, pianissimo. Um, like um, for me, it would be I would just sing. So I would just sing one note pianissimo, and uh, or B flat. Okay, I'll just sing one note pianissimo and just hold it, and then repeat, and then that would be um, the uh, that would be the warm up. That is again how you develop uh, different sounds, and um, and then you learn. Um, Through through the uh, through doing the repetitions that oh okay this is how I can make this sound this is how I can make this sound and apply them to different characters. One of the things I was thinking about doing like I've gotten some requests to do uh, some of the screamings music a cappella, you know, which oh, that would be is, interesting. Uh, a challenge, yeah, it's a challenge, but I would need to to invest uh, a lot of time into. De de determining which characters would would fit with which with which songs. Yeah. So that would that would take a that would take a. I might do that. Uh, I'm, in fact, I'm I'm really thinking about doing that pr probably sometime in April. Um, to 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 do a uh, online concert of uh, screaming's music, a cappella. Yeah. And how about how about the yodel thing? How did that happen? Yeah. Again, that was the same thing. Yodeling was just a, it's just a break in between the, the, um, the two, uh, the two different registers. Uh, one of my fault, the falsetto register and, the um, and the mid range, uh, the mid range register. Uh, I don't have, um, I don't have a true basso profundo, but I do have a true mid range. And then I don't have a true high tone, but I do have a, but I do have a, true falsetto so i can alternate between the two registers and do it on the same breath so it's just a matter of maintaining the technique that i can put the two together and uh and sing literally a chord yeah yeah but but from there i mean you but you took it up a notch a little you know you took it up a notch more since you are also able to sing melodies with this technique, <laughs> you know? So that's the next level. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I actually found out uh, when I was in, I think, it was, I think it was in Napoli, when I found out about Dimitri Stratos. You know about Dimitri Stratos? No, I don't. The Italian um, singer. He was a very talented guy. Um, He died pretty young, but he had a style that that 
really, I, I, I'm, I don't mimic it. I can't even really, but I do understand the concept. That's probably one of the reasons why I, I can't mess with it because it is such a, um, it is a very strong conceptual uh, program uh, and the technique is so specific to what he does that, oh, I can't really mess with it. But I enjoy listening to him and it is a, it, it does merit some, uh, uh, some, some, some foundation in that, uh, uh, what I do in, in, in that sound, uh, the sound that I do. So yeah, you know, yodeling, uh, I've, I've heard other people yodel, um, and, uh, you know, and people have their thing, I, but I've also been, I think Joe Bowie told me, he's like, I've never heard anybody yodel like you who does it so smoothly, you know? Um, I agree. I, I I I think my main thing though is to just is to just know when to use it and know when to lay off of it. Yeah. Um. Because it's not always it's not always it doesn't always work. Sometimes they do it too much. Um. Yeah. Uh, the main thing is to just choose my spots because I think most people just want they just want to they just want to hear music. You know. I mean, it's really all it is. It's just about the music. Yeah, but but still, you know, if if you, you know, if you use it in like you said in the right spots or where it really helps uh, to convey the message uh, of the song, then it's it's killing. Yeah, the voice as such is, at least the way I imagine or I perceive it, is the most sensitive musical instrument there is. And so my question would be, you know, what what do you do to keep your voice in shape, and also Pray. what. Yeah, <laughs> and also, what advice? Since we are talking talking about education, what advice would you give to other singers in that regard? You know, what what to do, or maybe even what not to do. <laughs> drink water. Um, drink drink water. Um, I'd say drink one to two liters of water every day. Um, make sure to get your rest. You know, all of the things that your mom tells you to do. <laughs> okay. Question <Yeah>. question answered. <laughs> all the things your mom tells you to do, just drink water and stay, you know, stay, try to stay healthy. I mean, you know, it's really the only thing. And it's, it's, it really comes down to um, whatever you're feeling, it, it's going to be in your voice. If you're cold, you're going to hear it. If you're hot, you're going to hear it. If you're nervous, you're going to hear it. Uh, if you're upset, you're going to hear it. Um, whatever the feeling is, it's going to come out in the voice. Very few people are able to disguise their, their feelings uh, from their voice. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said it's the most sensitive instrument. Let's move on from education to another topic. You once wrote a song, which we also did play together with the Little Rock Nine. And the title of the song is Jazz is a White Racist Word. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, you, you have... You have done a lot of music which would be classified as jazz. So also two questions. First is what does jazz mean to you? And what was your intention when you wrote that particular song? Well, okay, jazz. Well, the first thing to remember, whether it's jazz, whether it's gospel, whether it's reggae, whether it's blues, it's a marketing term. It's a very important thing. Very important thing to keep in mind. Um, so when I wrote jazz as a white racist word, I was just speak, referring to jazz as a marketing term. Um, 
I remember something Miles Davis used to say, which is, I don't tell people I play jazz because then my fee goes down. Um, you know, yeah, the thing is that that was, that was the feeling behind that. Um, my opinion about jazz uh, is... <sighs> it's uh it's it's so many different things to so many different people that is I'm I am not qualified to define anything to do with jazz for anybody else. Um jazz to me is everything um you know from uh well to me Don Byron is jazz but he doesn't know but not everything he plays is jazz, you know. So that's the thing. I mean, it, it, Don is a good example of someone who is a jazz musician, but not everything he plays is jazz. Yeah, I mean, Don, he did amazing plasma records. Right. Herbie Hancock is, again, you know, recognized as a jazz musician, but not everything Herbie Hancock does is jazz. Basically, us as musicians, we are not thinking about those terms. Because we just do what we do, and then it ends up being what it is. But remember the, the the reason why. But the reason why, and this is where we where we would have to give it up on some level to the to that is that it, that it becomes a racist, a, a white racist word. Um, in as much as, and Don has explained this to me one time when he said that you know he called actually the New York Times. Critic, uh, the critics, I forget who it was, but one of those, like Gary Giddens or one of those guys, he called him on it. Um, he said, he asked the question, why do you, um, why do you praise Medesky for doing the same thing that when Herbie does it, you say, oh, it's a shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you, why do you praise Medesky for what you diss Herbie for, you know? So, Uh, so, so it's kind of like in that, and 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 for the record, I love John Medeski. I love him as a musician and as and as a person. He's he's a great guy, great great musician. So it's not about it's not about uh, it's not about personalities at all. I I mention him because he's because he's a friend and a colleague. So yeah, I mean, I have another example. Like for instance, a band like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, right. Perfect example. Perfect example. They got world famous and they became millionaires from from starting out being a, a punk band in L.A. Then they started playing. Then they started playing funk, and now that you know, they started. You know, they took. They, they got influenced by funkadelic. You know, and yeah. So that's a good example. And I I wanted to ask you this question because in the first season of my podcast, our dear friend M was. You know, was in the uh, was my guest was actually the first episode, and so we also we, we did mention you. You know, we did also talk about what jazz means to her. So I I just had to ask you, you know, um, okay. But we can stay in the realm because one one thing which connects me and you, among many other things, is that we both love the music of Charles Mingus, and we also did play. Two, I think, two songs together of Charles Mingus and Goodbye Pork Pie Head. We did and also. Goodbye Pork Pie Head. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I just uh, two of my favorites. Yeah, same for me. Actually, Fables for me, Fables was the first Mingus song I ever heard in my life. 
Wow. I think it was the first song I ever heard in my life, too, I think. I think. I, I found out later on about Goodbye Pork Pie Hat, but I remember Fables of Farmers. I thought it was kind of a, it was kind of a, um, there was a comedic element to the melody. Uh, and, you know, um, and it was before I knew the lyrics. It was before I knew the lyrics. It was a comedic element to the melody. It was like, da 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 you know so there's a melody it's a comedic it's kind of a uh the melody is kind of a goof you know yeah but but the first but the version i heard was the one from the jazz workshop where he's singing the lyrics <laughs> you know right <laughs> there, there's one where they where they just play and he's singing the, so it's not the version from from the album which is instrumental But uh, it's it's really like where he's really singing, and I've I just I I mean I don't know even how to explain it, but just did something to me, and it uh, and this effect, I mean by now I have listened to way more of course, but uh, it's still you know the effect, the emotional effect of it is still very present for me. So yeah, that's why I wanted to ask you like how, how you like you know how you feel about Mingus and why you love his music so much. Mingus is to me, um, one of the reasons, uh, w one of the important, um, historical, uh, uh, references to the music because he acknowledged, um, more than, uh, more than most musicians do the importance of being chronicler. Uh, you know, you know, to, of being a note taker uh, 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 in the world, not just being a, not just being a musician, um, but also being a, a, a chronicler. And he, he definitely made it a point of, of um, taking his existence here as a musician seriously. He definitely took, took it beyond any of the other things of, you know, being an innovator or being, internationally commercially recognized um but also for being a chronicler yeah and, and and i think you know if you even now if you listen and you go back and then connect it to to the story of his life you can hear it all in the music yes let's go back for to 2010 uh, that year was that you released a solo album called death don't have no mercy and this album is a A cappella album where you sing gospels, and I mean, you, you mentioned already that your roots are in church, and so for me as a bassist, you know, when I, I didn't do it very often, but when I do have to play a solo performance with only my bass and nothing else, this is, I mean, you know, I'm, I have no fear when it comes down to music, not at all, but when I have to play a solo performance, this is the fucking hardest thing ever, you know? So, so I, I would like to know what, what can you tell um, about the album, and also about how you approach a cappella solo performances. First of all, I want to thank John McCormick for releasing the record uh, on Living Jazz Archive, and I also want to thank Amo Hallis, who uh, helped me out with uh, some of the mixing and the mastering. Uh, what happened there was, um, again, it was just a matter of uh, feeling 
uh, you know, how I was feeling at that particular time with the music and uh, what the focus was on, the preparation, you know, was on that uh, I stayed with specific songs, specific repertoire um, that was close to me, that meant something to me. Um, at that point, um, it was, it was, um, it took me a while to, uh, to decide on what I was going to do. And um, one of my friends, uh, who's a yoga instructor and a midwife, she said that uh, she she listens to it all the time in her when she teaches her yoga class. And one of the songs that she uses to uh, in her yoga class is uh, the song "Down on Me." And um, she says that when when the when the yoga when the students are going down on their splits, going down to their splits, that's when she she plays "Down on Me" to kind of inspire them. Down, 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 down. So, um, so I think that that's uh, one aspect of it that I totally didn't see uh, in it because remember everybody is coming to the music where they are, not necessarily where not necessarily where I am with it. So I'm very grateful that uh, I got the chance um, to do this music. Uh, I, it took some time, like I said, to decide on um, what the approach was, but uh, but it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of fun, very interesting. And, you know, uh, I haven't uh, come to the full circle of, of uh, doing it again, but, uh, that, but, you know, you never know. I, I might be able to do it again at some point. If you compare, you know, uh, going into a situation where you play, where you sing and you are backed by a band or where you do like a duo or trio and doing it alone. So how is the difference for you? Well, uh, well, the first thing, the first thing where it actually meets, where it actually meets, the first thing is that uh, it's less wear and tear. Um, actually, no, that's not even true. Um, the only the, the 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 main difference is that um, is that you are. Uh, you are singing the chord, even though you're singing one note, even though you're singing only one individual note. You're singing melody, harmony, and rhythm, even though it's just you. So uh, the audience, whoever is listening, the listener uh, has the freedom to fill in the rest. Uh, but when it's just, but when you're with a band, everything is pretty straight. Everything is right there. And you don't really have any say as the singer or as the listener. But when it's just you, acapella, then everything like, uh, uh, I did a song uh, for my Christmas uh, concert. Um, I'm trying to think of what it was. Oh yes, it was, um, I'm doing my Christmas dreaming a little early this year you know uh, all of that is is in the chord but you don't the chord isn't established in the in the mind of the listener um it's something that they have to put into their own into they have to put it into their own hearts and their own minds in order to in order to get um in order to get to it so that's the approach it's completely different 
is um, is that the chord is established by the chordal instrument. But when it's just you a cappella, then the chord is established by the listener as well as by the as well as by the singer. Let's talk about traveling for a little bit, you know, because I mean you you have traveled so much, you know, as a musician. Um and also you did travel to many places where one does not get to usually, you know, for instance, Mexico, um, or I, I mean, you know better than myself where you have been, <laughs> but uh, I would like to ask you, you know, having traveled that much and because traveling also means that we got the chance to, you know, to get the vibe of a certain place, meet the people, you know, at least, I mean, we mostly we are in the place for a very short amount of time, but still, but still, you know, we get, we get something and we take something with us from every place where we go to. So my question would be... Well, let me tell you one thing right now. Yes, please. Let me tell you this right now. You ain't never had no tacos till you've been to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Don't let nobody tell you about tacos. I mean, <laughs> nah, man. When you go to Plaza del Toros and you have some tacos in Plaza del Toros, you know you eat, eat some tacos. You know that you know. There's an old Mexican woman. She got a bag of them. You know she's selling them on the street. Now you had some tacos, man. You ain't never had no tacos till you had them like that. Because Taco Bell ain't tacos, man. But you got to be careful. That, what, does they say, what they say about Montezuma's revenge, you got to be careful with that, man. Because them tacos, you, you, you eat too many of them, you get a taco headache. <laughs> yeah. But, but what, what, do you, what would you say, like, you know, having made having been able to make all these experiences, uh, how, you know, what did that do for you? Well, here's what happened. Here's the thing about traveling. The thing about traveling is like, um, it's like, it's like, uh, if you don't read it for yourself or if you don't see it for yourself, then you're dealing from conjecture. Because sometimes even if you do see it for yourself, you're seeing it from where you are. You know, you're not seeing it from where they are. But 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 again, it's about being there and seeing it for yourself and reading it for yourself. Because if you don't read it for yourself, if you don't see it for yourself, you you it's it's totally conjecture. You became a father, let's say, pretty late in your life. Less than ten years ago, but right before I turned, I was forty. Right before I turned forty-eight. Right before my right before I turned forty-eight. Most of my most of my uh, most of my colleagues, most of my Uh, most of my um, uh, uh, people my own age, most of my contemporaries, um, they have grandchildren now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they have grandchildren my children's age. Yeah. So, But yeah. How would you describe that profound change which happened for you by becoming a father? Well, I put it this way is that I don't really think very much about my life before I became a father. Um, I'm very grateful for the experience, you know, for all the experience that I had, but being a father just trumps everything. It just changes everything. It just, it just completely, uh, it changes everything uh, imaginable. 
Um, the only the only things that I think about <clears throat> before them, which is uh, 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 you know, the people that I lost before they got a chance to meet my children. That's the only connection that I have. I I only wish I could have been able to, you know, introduce my children to my big brother and you know. I wish they could have met their grandfather and, you know, so that, uh, that's really, uh, that, that's, that changed everything for me and made me realize in the same way, in, in, in the same way that I was profoundly moved by the loss of my big brother that I and, and my father as well, the same way that, um, that becoming a father changed me. And I right now I have, I'm remembering one situation when we do you remember when we went to when we were in Sarajevo, and when I asked you guys to if we could make a stop before we leave the town. Yes, I remember that very well. And you told me that you told me you had not seen him since you left. It was true. I know. I remember that very well. You went to see your grandfather, and that was. <laughs> and then he passed like two weeks later, you know. Yeah, you told me. I remember that very well. I'm so glad you went. It reminded me of it reminded me of the scene in the Matrix where um, where uh, Neo went to see um, Oracle. <laughs> yeah, and he comes out, and. Um, I can't remember his name, the Larry Fishburne character. He looked at him and he said, what she told you was for you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was just one of those moments. It's like, it was a very special moment. You know, we are approaching now that we have talked a lot about the past and present and many different topics. Maybe you, if you are willing to share, like, what, what are you working on right now or these days? And if you, like, I mean, you have already said, which is true, that we are not, it's very uh, difficult to plan anything. But, uh, you know, but, but maybe there are some things you would like to do in the future. Yes. Well, actually, in a couple of hours, uh, I'm going to have to uh, prepare. For, well, I'm going to, I'm preparing right now. Because in a couple of hours I'm doing a solo acapella concert uh, on uh, on Facebook Live, and uh, I'm also going to be uh, this week. I'm teaching my classes uh, for my students uh, Zoom classes uh, these these next couple of weeks, and uh, I'm also working to organize a workshop. Uh, for bass, workshop for drums, workshop for uh, law, music, music law, uh, on Zoom as well, and those 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 are upcoming ongoing projects. Uh, I'm going to have links to them on my website and on my uh, on my Facebook pages. So yeah, that's that's going to be that's what the focus is uh, coming up uh, these next days. But so you are despite all of this crazy stuff going on with the pandemic you are still hanging in there and working on things and not giving up right it's a struggle it's a struggle but uh yeah but you keep moving yeah yeah that's what we gotta do 
Okay, as we are now finished with our time for today, um, of course, the guests have, uh, you know, shall have the final word. So, uh, would there be anything you would like to share with our listeners to end this episode? Well, um, the main thing is uh, with this pandemic going around, um, do whatever you can not to get it. Um, and keep yourself and your family safe and healthy. Um, and pray. And don't be afraid to pray. You have been listening to the Talking Spirits podcast, episode number 14, with Dean Bowman and Armin Alic. Thank you for staying with us. Next week's episode will be one in German, and my guest is the German blues guitarist Henrik Freischlader. If you want to hook up with me, feel free to hit me up on www.talkingspiritspodcast.com or on the show's Facebook page. I'm looking forward to hearing from you anytime. Stay safe and healthy and have a nice week. <laughs>